grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Our text for our sermon is our gospel lesson, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. To remind you of that account, I will read the first two verses. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our Wednesday midweek Advent service, we had learned that God had given a similar prophecy to this to the uh, Malachi or to the prophet Malachi, and then for 500 years there was silence. The silence was broken when Zechariah was making the offering of incense, and the angel Gabriel appeared before him next to that altar. John would prepare the way for our Lord. John would prepare the way, and we're told the primary way he did that in verse 4. Allow me to translate the Greek, the original inspired Greek language, very literally. It's a little clunky, but John came, who was baptizing in the wilderness, and who was, who was proclaiming a baptism for a change of mind, resulting in release of sin. The word we translate as repentance, the Greek word is metanomoio. It means a change of mind, a change in the very way of thinking. Suddenly the filter we use to filter all information and think is changed. That's done through baptism. And so we see today as we look at John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord, that as we prepare for Christmas, the birth of our Lord in our lives, as we prepare, await the return of our Lord to give us the new heavens and earth, we see that Advent means a change of mind. Now, Mark begins his gospel by saying, uh, the beginning of the good news, we translate that as gospel, good news, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a change that happens. A change from the old ways of doing things. What is the old ways of doing things? Again, look at all the religions of the world. What do they all have in common? You got to butter up God to get something from God because there's no such thing as a free lunch. So you have to do the right things, the right penance, the right prayers, whatever, if you want to get something from God. There's good news when we understand that's not the way it is. The good news, you and I are sinners. We can't do this. We can't do this perfectly. We can't do this apart from God. So there's good news about Jesus Christ. True God became true man, was conceived in that virgin's womb so that he could do this for you. This changes our hearts. Because our hearts are set on things that would actually, if we look at it apart from Christ, that hinder understanding the message of Christ because they turn back to ourselves, the things we think we have to do. If you don't believe me, look at a child. You never have to teach a child to be selfish. One of the early words a child learns is minds, minds. You go to take the, the instrument, maybe they've, they've picked up something the parent doesn't want them to have. I, I remember a, a niece when she was two years old, and I was doing dishes and had reached up and grabbed a knife and had grabbed it by the sharp end and, and I didn't want her to cut herself and I reached down to grab it. Mines! Mines! And I had to be careful how I took that out because I did not want her cutting her hands. In her desire to not share at all, she would injure herself. We actually have to do the opposite. We have to teach children to share, right? They don't have a problem learning. So my point there is, is our minds are not geared to the way God works. 
It's not geared to the self-sacrifice of our Lord that would atone for our sins. It's good news and God, that, that God has done this. And, and He needs to change. Our minds need to be changed for that. So we're told in verse 2, just as it is written in, written in Isaiah the prophet, pay close attention. I am sending my messenger before your presence who will thoroughly prepare your path. 700 years before the birth of Christ, God, through the prophet Isaiah, 500 years later, he'd say a similar pro, uh, uh, earlier, he'd say, or 150 years after Isaiah, he'd say a similar prophecy through the prophet Malachi. But God says to himself before he's taken on human flesh, I'm going to send a human being ahead of you to prepare your path. And it says, a voice of one who is calling loudly in the wilderness, prepare the path of the Lord, make straight his well-traveled path. There's a picture here. In those days, if a king or, a, or an emissary was coming, they would send out a herald uh, a week or two in advance to announce to the people that they were gonna, this person was going to be passing through. And they would fill in the potholes and things like this. Because in those days, they didn't have shocks and struts, and it was a rather uncomfortable ride, especially on a bumpy road. So they would prepare the way for this person coming. Now, God does not have John the Baptist prepare the way for our Savior because our Savior wants to be pampered. Uh Uh-uh. He's born a poor boy in a barn, literally. He wants the way prepared so that our minds are changed. So that we stop that selfishness of saying, "What? look at what I do to be saved. Look at how, how you owe me, God. Look at how I'm trying to squeeze a blessing out of you to come, Lord Jesus. You are the blessing. You have worked it all. Advent means a change of mind. And as we look at the ministry of John, we can see the same thing in our lives. Change from hindering our heart with our own work-righteous ideas, our own selfishness, to preparing our hearts for Christ preparing to hear the good news that in Christ our sins are forgiven, that our righteousness is Christ's righteousness credited to us. Advent means more than that as we look at that change of mind. If you think about the ways of this world, we tend to rejoice in sin. I already mentioned that we don't have to learn how to be selfish. We have to learn how to share. What are the ways of this world? I think that the ways of this world is summarized by a few popular sayings. Look out for number one. I'm just looking out for number one. Take care of yourself. That's not how the Lord operates. The Lord took on our human flesh so he could die, so that he could make us his, spare us from hell, free us from our slavery to sin, death, and the devil. I like the popular <clears throat> Burger King commercial, Have It Your Way. Because isn't that what we want? We want it our way. And we'll excuse our sins because we want it our way. Not God's way, our way. We'll tell God arrogantly how to be God so we can have it our way. How can we change our way of thinking over sins? We can't. Somebody else has to work this for us. Again, let me translate literally from the inspired Greek that John, language that John was written or that Mark was written in. John came who was baptizing in the wilderness and who was proclaiming a baptism for a change of mind resulting in the release of sins. Wow. There is a mouthful. How can some water poured over us change our way of thinking with the result in the release of sins? The answer is God's word. 
We don't just pour water. We say God's word. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With that word, the Holy Spirit works through the word to create, sustain, and strengthen faith. We only need to be baptized once in our lives. And when we are, the Holy Spirit is sealed in our heart. So that sinful person who thinks, minds, 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 look out for number one, I will have it my way, suddenly has a competitor, a competitor with him. Because when the Holy Spirit is in our heart, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the Spirit has given birth to spirit. We have a new person, a person who is intimately united to Christ. See, that is faith. Faith isn't a decision we make. Faith is the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that there is that new person that is righteous because it clings to the cross of Christ. It fights against the sinful nature every day, doesn't it? Every day you and I sin because the sinful nature gets its sucker punches in. That's why we're happy that with that Holy Spirit in our hearts, we receive the blood of Christ. With the blood of Christ, those sins are washed away. So we struggle. We change our way of thinking. We now, instead of embracing and rejoicing, reveling in our sins, instead of the idea of he who dies with the most toys wins, the idea is we cling to the cross of Christ knowing we have eternal life. When that new man in us, as he does every day, gets to beat down that sinful nature, beat it good, blacken its eyes and kick its teeth in, we rejoice because we wouldn't struggle with our sin if the Holy Spirit wasn't in our hearts. So we thank the Lord for the victory. Oh, but every one of us sins every day. Every one of us has our pet sins we don't want to commit. And yet every day we thank them and we fall into them. What are we to do then? We rejoice. Because that new man that the Holy Spirit has created in our hearts, that new woman that clings to the cross of Christ, it knows it's forgiven. When we lose the battle because that sinful nature gets its sucker punches in, we rejoice. Our sins are forgiven. By the way, there are a lot of Christians that have a problem with the literal translation here of what this verse says because it makes it clear that baptism results in the forgiveness of sins. To them, baptism is a work-righteous thing. Look, Lord, I've weighed the evidence. I've given my heart to you. I'm, I'm making myself your child. And it's just the opposite. God, as John the Baptist was in the wilderness, there's nobody in the wilderness. It was unsettled. But God drew the people to John the Baptist. He would show them their sin. They would say, what do we do? He would point to the Savior. He would baptize them and they would have that change of mind. God draws us to himself with his Holy Spirit. And at baptism, God makes us his child, not the opposite. And he seals his Holy Spirit in our heart. And that results in forgiveness. And so to affirm that part about the desert, uh, Mark tells us in, chapter, in verse 5, And all the inhabitants of the region of Judea and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to John, and they were being baptized by John in the Jordan River, fully confessing their sins. These people went out of their way to hear this message from the one who would prepare the way from the Lord. And guess what they did? Instead of covering up their sins and saying, but you don't understand, I was born this way. Or, but I want it my way. What kind of a God would want me to be holy? Instead, they would say, let me give my sins to you, Lord, because I know you're going to wash them away. It's one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit has led you here this morning. You did this at the beginning of our worship service. You said, Lord, I'm pretty good at sinning. 
I wish I wasn't. And the Lord said to you, my son died for you. Your sins are washed away. Isn't that wonderful? So we see Advent means a change of mind. And and baptism, sealing that Holy Spirit in our heart, gives us that change in our way of thinking. Advent means a change of mind from hindering our heart to preparing our hearts for Christ, which is why you come to the Word over and over again. And Advent means a change of mind from rejoicing over our sins to rejoicing over sins forgiven. We run to the cross to say, Lord, here's my sins. I confess them. I'm done hiding them because I know you'll erase them. Praise be to you, O Lord. And then we're told in verse 6, And John had dressed himself in clothes of camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he was eating locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching by saying, A man is coming after me who is more powerful than I, who I continue being not worthy to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. Okay, we hear that Zechariah was a priest. He could trace his lineage back to Aaron. And his wife Elizabeth was. These are John the Baptist's parents. John should have served as a priest in the temple. But God said it's time for a change. The very mannerism in the ministry of John was to point out something. The temple and its services were about to be ended. They pointed to Christ and the Christ was coming. John the Baptist would literally get to say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Christ dies on the cross, the temple is obsolete. It's done. It pointed to him. And he has made the one sacrifice that washes away our sins. When he rises, we know that the receipt is there, that our sins are paid for in full. John's different than the priests. John kind of just, you know, in Wyoming, before before there were trains and everything, there was these people who made their living by, you know, trapping beavers and selling the furs and stuff. And when the clothes they had on their back wore out, they'd shoot deer for their food. They would take that deer hide and make their pants and stuff out of them, right? They were called mountain men. John looks a lot like a mountain man, doesn't he? He lives out in the wilderness. He never ate anything that was ceremonially unclean. Locusts were clean. But see, he had a ministry in which he did not profit greatly. He didn't have children to support and all that stuff. He was outside of the norm. There are two other men, or there's another man in the Bible who provides his ministry for free, the Apostle Paul. He supports his ministry with, by making tents. However, he still accepts offerings from people, but he makes it clear that, uh, he makes it clear that the other apostles had the right to expect to be supported, but because he had been persecuting the church, the chief of sinners made to be the, uh, uh, as just a standout apostle, he really wanted to offer this service as a thank offering. Well, John offered his services for free. He didn't live off of offerings. He lived a hand-in-mouth existence and the Lord had provided. And it tells us something. John wanted to serve the Lord by focusing his whole ministry on preparing for the Lord. So he lived off of the locusts and the, and, and the wild animals, that, and the, the animals that the Lord would provide to clothe himself. That's an attitude of service, just as the Apostle Paul wanted to serve. And that service points ahead to our own Lord. John says of his Lord, he says that he's not worthy to stoop down and and untie his sandal strap. And yet true God who created everything did not create you so he could have an ego trip. He became a human being to serve you. He had a servant's heart. It often amazes me. The night that he's going to be arrested, Monday, Thursday, the night he institutes the Lord's Supper, the night he's going to be betrayed, he begins that by washing his disciples' feet. Yuck! That was servant's works, folks. Often done by a slave. 
And yet when Peter says, Lord, you're above this, don't do this. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't be clean. Our Lord served you. And when that Holy Spirit of his is in our heart, we suddenly start serving each other. You're not just here to hear the good news of forgiveness for yourself. You'll retain things you learn in Bible study and in the sermon. Sometimes years later, a friend will say, I'm having a problem. And you'll go, you know, I one time heard a neat analogy from a sermon that'll help you with this. We serve, we become servants of the Lord as he has made us priests and princesses in his eternal kingdom. And so we see Advent means a change of mind, change from serving ourselves, have it your way, minds, minds, to serving Christ. And the greatest way we serve him is hearing the very word that gives us life. We have now arrived at the last verse of our text. John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you, translating the inspired Greek, under the influence of or in connection with the Holy Spirit. It's a mouthful, but the gist of what John is saying, his baptism was no different than the one the Lord instituted. What he's saying is, I baptize you with water. I'm not the one who sends the Holy Spirit. The one who gives it its power is Jesus Christ, our Savior. He sends the Holy Spirit to work through that word with you. He's the one who gives it its power. Now, when Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives us those words, go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The difference in their baptism is simply this. At Jesus' ascension, he says, don't just keep this to the Jews, send it out to the Gentiles. But John's baptism had the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent it through that, and, and he had that change of mind, would work that change of mind. So the point is, you're now, when you're baptized, when you have faith, you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And it's because of that that we will struggle with our sins. It's because of that that we live our life now with a different view of the rest of the world. In our lives, the cross is held ever before us, both Christ on the cross and Christ off the cross, because that is our salvation. And so we see Advent means a change of mind. Change from the influence of sin to the influence of the Holy Spirit. So as we've looked our way through our text at the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, looked at John the Baptist preparing hearts for the Lord, we have seen that uh, Advent for us, this Advent season, means a change of mind. A change from, pre, uh, from hindering our hearts to preparing our hearts for Christ that God works in us. A change from rejoicing over sins to rejoicing in sins forgiven that God works in us. A change from serving ourselves to serving Christ, which God has worked in us because he served us by taking on human flesh. He serves us by putting his Holy Spirit in our heart. And it means a change from being from the influence of sin to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.